The Lord met with Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Go back to Balak and give him this word. So he went to him and found him standing beside his offering with the Moabite officials. Balak asked him, What did the Lord say? Then he spoke this message. Arise, Balak, and listen. Hear me, son of Zippor. God is not human, that he should lie, not a human being, that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot change it. And our second reading is going to be from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 15. Because I was confident of this, I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I went to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle when I intended to do this? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful... Our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it's always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, he set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I call God as my witness, and I stake my life on it, that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it is by faith you stand firm. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I have confidence in all of you, that you would all share my joy. For I wrote you out of a great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote to you was to see if you'd stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And why I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. 
Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. Hey everybody, good to be with you, good to see some mums out there, Uh, I hope you've had a great Mother's Day, Eva and I, I hope you've been good to your mums. My wife is um, is three weeks off giving birth to our fourth kid and so one of our very significant Mother's Day presents to her today was to give her a three hour nap in the middle of the day. Um, I trust this part of the Bible is going to be helpful for us, why don't we pray and we'll jump in together. Now, Father, we're so thankful uh, for your word. Uh, thank you that we can come together now and, and dig in together, and we pray it to be a real feast for us as we uh, look, about, look at uh, travel plans and uh, an intimate relationship between Paul and the Corinthians, and we're reminded of, of you and your faithfulness. We do give you uh, heaps of thanks for mums. Uh, it's so encouraging to hear of, of Brit and Stu. We're thankful for little Eliza. We thank you that you've brought her out into the world safely. We thank you for all our mums who have um, given birth to us, uh, brought us to be, and, uh, and nurtured and raised us. And we pray that you would help us now to be transformed, to be more like you, to be faithful, to be gracious, to be kind. Please continue to use us, Father, to bring yourself glory in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Well, I do want to give you a bit of a disclaimer right from the start that tonight's sermon is not going to be a a Mother's Day sermon. Uh, It's not going to be on motherhood, but uh, by uh, providence of God, we do have a passage which is particularly relevant to the relationship between a parent and their child in that this part of 2 Corinthians is this intimate interaction back and forth between a parent, a spiritual parent, and his kids. And it's about relational tension. And so maybe that's particularly relevant for you right now. And so um, if that is you right now and you're the kid, you just don't look at your mum, just keep looking forward. (laughs) Uh, This part of God's Word has the Apostle Paul who refers to them, the Corinthians, as his children, refers to himself as their father in Christ, 1 Corinthians 4, and looks at the relational pain that's going on for them. The Corinthians had now been, they'd been a church for about five years. Paul was the one who brought the gospel to them, so he kind of birthed this church, so to speak. And um, five years on now in their relationship, and there's significant pain, there's tension. There's, and at the core of it, it's the issue of trust. Whether the Corinthians could trust Paul... And you know, relationships are built on trust, isn't that right? Some of us have enjoyed a a wonderful experience uh, of being the children of our mothers because they've been someone who we could trust, someone who we, we know as trustworthy, who've loved us and given themselves for us, as we heard um, Britt testify to about her mum. And so because they've given of themselves, we've seen that they love us, they want our good, they've kept their word, they said they'd do something, they did it. Because they've done that, they've been someone who's trustworthy. And so that's nurtured a, a warmth and a generosity and a love in relationship. Relationships, they're built on trust. 
But Paul and the Corinthians, their relationship was hurting because the Corinthians didn't know if they could trust Paul. I wonder if you've experienced that before in in any of your relationships where you weren't sure whether you could trust someone anymore. Or if you know the other end of that, of, of someone who now no longer trusts you, some of you will have experienced that in your families and that's a really painful place to be, a terrible place to be because relationships are built on trust. And when it comes to God and our relationship with God, it's no different. Our relationship with God is built on trust. In fact, it's even more foundational, more essential. The message of Christianity, when you boil it down, it's about relationship with God by putting your trust in God's Son, by listening to God's words and saying, Amen, you're faithful and true, I trust you God. You boil it down, that's Christianity. It's about our God who's made a promise, a promise to bring sinful humanity back into relationship with Himself by us putting our trust in God and His Son, to be who He says He is, the Lord and the Saviour, to trust Jesus at who He says, to trust His words. And so, relationship with God, for us it begins and it's lived out with trust at its heart. That's the message. Relationship with God, trust at the heart. But here's the thing, and follow me on this, when it comes to our relationship with God, there's actually somebody else involved. See, for us to be able to trust God requires us to be able to trust another. Now, this is a unique thing. In most relationships, there's you and there's the other person and you trust one another. There's a mother and their child, that's it. But when it comes to our relationship with God, there's a third party. There's the person in the middle who has told us to put our trust in God. See, the way you come into relationship is by putting your faith in the message about Jesus as the Lord and Saviour. But that message comes to us through a third party, through Paul, through the apostles, the authors of Scripture. And so for us to be able to trust God requires that those men who wrote down the Scriptures for us, wrote down this message of salvation, it requires that they are trustworthy, true, that what they've said about the Lord Jesus is in fact right. And so it is absolutely critical that the Apostle Paul is a man who we could trust because without him, we've got no access back to God. We've got no hope of being back in relationship with God, of finding ourselves on that last day of judgment, which Paul refers to at the bottom of verse 14, of finding ourselves before God able to stand. And so it's absolutely critical that we can trust Paul, the messenger of the message of salvation. But the Corinthians weren't sure. If it were to turn out, that Paul was untrustworthy in his words, a distorter of truth, out for his own gain, that would bring into question everything he told us about Jesus. And that would leave us, where would, where would that leave us? Standing before God without salvation. You see what's at stake with Paul being trustworthy and true? 
And so this part of 2 Corinthians, it captures this intimate moment of a man who, who loves this, this group of people deeply. He views them as his children. He gives of himself like a mother does for their children. And they've lost their trust in him. And so this part of 2 Corinthians, Paul urging them to see who he truly is. And so the plan for us tonight is just to, to walk, through, walk through Paul's words here and to see what he has to say, how he defends himself against these accusations of untrustworthiness. Yo. Just going to pause you for a second, see if we can fix your microphone. So. Can you guys not hear me? It just sounds bad. Does it? Yeah. That's my voice. That's not the microphone. <laughs> Talk amongst yourself. Can you pause it? Can you mute us for a second? I felt so... Shall we try? How's that sound? Yeah. Check. Check two. Sound okay? Oh, sound all right? Where were we? We're, our hearts were beating. You're all at the edge. I remember you're all sitting forward a little bit more. You're all itching to look down at this, the, this part of Scripture. Paul, it matters that he was trustworthy. Do you all feel that? If he's a liar... If the Bible's just full of lies, we may as well just go home. And when we stand before God, we're just going to stand there like this. We need Paul to be true. Paul is our hope before God. Not that he's the saviour, but he's the messenger of the message. Let's dive in. Let's see how he defends himself. Chapter 1, verse 12. Let's look at this together. And you see right away, Paul is defending himself to the Corinthians Verse 12, now this is our boast, our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. Now you imagine, imagine that you wrote that to somebody, that you, te- or you texted that to someone, verse 12. Why would you write, my conscience testifies that I've conducted myself toward you with integrity and godly sincerity. Imagine writing that. The reason you would write that is because the people are accusing you of being untrustworthy, insincere, lacking integrity. It's a very serious kind of accusation to be throwing at someone. But Paul is adamant. My, my conscience testifies that we have not behaved toward you like this. But what he says rather in verse 13 is that the Corinthians have misunderstood him. Have a look at this, verse 13. For we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. And I hope that as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us. Just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. We've been plain with you, we've been sincere with you in our words, when we're present, in, our, in my letters, but you've not fully understood me. 
And so what is it that's gone on? What, what's Paul done that's led them to, to be accusing him like this? Well, it's a very plain and simple thing. Paul said he was going to be somewhere and he didn't turn up. Instead, he wrote a letter. Now, that doesn't seem very weighty, does it? But as we'll see, it is a serious issue. But have a look. He said he was going to do something and he didn't do it. Verse 16. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle when I intended to do this? Or do I make plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no, no. He said he'd visit, but he didn't. Now, you might be thinking, what's the big deal? People run out of petrol. People don't turn up. It happens. Well, I'll show you why it's a big deal soon. But let me take you through some of the history between Paul and the Corinthians. I think this helps to set the scene. By the time, and we've got a slide for this as well. By the time we get to this letter, 2 Corinthians, Paul's actually on his fourth letter. 2 Corinthians is actually the fourth letter. Four Corinthians, and he's two visits into them, into his time with them as well. See, the first visit was around 51, 52 AD, where Paul first, um, on his missionary journeys, went up and, and came across these people for the first time, and he shared the message, and they put their faith in him, and the church was born. That's his first visit to them. His, some stage after that, he had sent a letter to them, And his letter was one where he was disciplining them over immorality, correcting them. And we know about that letter from 1 Corinthians 5 verse 9. Now you get that, don't you? In 1 Corinthians, he talks about the other letter that he'd already sent. So we're now, by 1 Corinthians, we're on letter 2. And so then, the second thing, he sends another letter, which we have called 1 Corinthians. And at the end of 1 Corinthians, he makes some travel plans. He's only seen them in the flesh once, though he spent a good amount of time there. He sent two letters. And at the end of 1 Corinthians, he makes some plans to come and visit them again. Just flick back one page with me to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 5. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and only make a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. He makes some travel plans. He hopes to see them again. He wants to spend more time with them. But he never gets to that visit particularly. He does visit, but it's an unintended one. There's something that goes on in the church that means he has to get there quickly. There's a bit of a crisis And so Paul visits earlier than he had previously planned and 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we're back in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 2 verse 1, he made another visit which was a painful visit. Verse 1, so I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you for if I grieve you, who is left? And so it's a painful time and you can see from verse 5, chapter 2 verse 5 onwards, that there was a man there who had sinned in some way, Paul rebuked him, that man opposed him. It seemed like there was this, you can read it later, there was quite a messy situation. And then what Paul does is he sends another letter, we're up to letter number three. And see that in chapter two, verse three. 
I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who have made me rejoice. He's visited them, visit number two. He's had this confrontation with some bloke. He then later on heard that it was not resolved, and so he sent another letter trying to resolve it, trying to get them to repent, trying to get them to act properly. And, and so... All that brings us up to chapter 1, verse 16. But what you see is that over these few years, he's had this really turbulent relationship with this church. But just as an aside, before we look at it again, do you see that this is all just real history? What we have here is simply a letter. Simply a letter? It's the Word of God. But this is a letter from one man to a group of people he knew over relational tensions... He wanted to go here, but he couldn't get there. And this happened, and then he went here to Troas. And this is the Bible is not fairy tale. The Bible is real historic events, real people documenting real truths about a real God. And so, all this leads up to chapter 1, verse 16, where he had said he was going to do something. He said he was going to visit them a certain way, but he never actually got there. And so let me, uh, we've got a map here as well, let me point this out. Paul had been doing a bunch of ministry in Ephesus. See that over here? And what he had said, 1 verse 16, he must have said that in his third letter, he said that he was going to go to Corinth before going to Macedonia. Now to get to Corinth, he'd have to take a boat. So he's going he's to go directly to Corinth, take a boat across the sea there, and then go up to Macedonia, come back down to Corinth. You tracking with this? all important details, and then he would carry on. But he didn't do that. And so chapter 2, verse 13, he's actually in Macedonia already, but he's not been to Corinth. And so he's dogged them. And they're saying, you're a dog. You're untrustworthy. They're accusing him of insincerity, of not really caring about them at all of not keeping his word. Now, people make plans all the time, don't they? And they, they can't keep them. What's the big deal? You know, we're not God. We're, we're not infallible. In fact, did you notice that in two Corinth, 1 Corinthians 16, the end of verse 7, in his travel plans, he even says, I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. Paul knows he's not infallible. He knows that he, you know, it's only by God's sovereignty that he'd be able to do these things what's the big deal can't they cut him some slack well remember how crucial it is that we can trust the messenger of the message of salvation paul is our connection to the message of salvation but on top of that the corinthians distrust it had been provoked by a group of false apostles a group of guys calling themselves super apostles, had come into the church and they were trying to push out Paul and replace him as the leaders, make a name for themselves, the super apostles. Chapter 11 tells us this. And they were sowing seeds of doubt among the church saying, look at him, he makes plans, he doesn't even really care about you guys. He's hanging out in Macedonia. He said he'd be here but he's not here. Untrustworthy, liar, insincere, fickle, he flip-flops. He says he's going to do something and he doesn't. You can't trust him, listen to us. And so how does Paul account for his failed plans? Well, here it is. 
He doesn't deny that he changed his plans, but he defends himself in doing so based on his unique relation to God. In essence, what he says is, you guys are accusing me of unfaithfulness, but I'm faithful because God is faithful. Have a look at this, verse 18. 1 verse 18, But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. Now more literally, what Paul says, it doesn't say as surely as God, what it says literally is, now God is faithful because our message to you is not yes and no. What Paul does is he ties God's faithfulness to Paul's words and his message. Because that message from God is not yes and no, maybe, uh, no, I feel different now. It's, it's yes, the message he delivered. Now, what does that mean? Well, he explains, verse 19. For, because the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, it was not yes and no, maybe, yeah, I'm going to do this, nah. It was not yes and no, but in him, in Jesus, it's always been Yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. What he's saying is, the message we spoke to you was about the faithful promise-keeping God who's fulfilled every promise he's ever made in Christ. And so God has shown himself to be faithful and true through the words of Paul. God has been faithful and true And Paul is the one who's been the messenger of that, who's delivered that message. Promise fulfilled. Yes. Amen. True. And Paul is the unique messenger. And so we know that God is true because of Paul. Now this promise and fulfillment, this is the structure of the Bible if you hadn't picked this up. The whole Bible is is broken into two parts, the old and the new, which is promise, fulfillment. Yes. The Old Testament is the promises of God to restore humanity back into relationship with himself and it's going to come through the Christ and he's going to do this. And and then the New Testament is God saying, yes, I've done it. I've fulfilled my promise. The Christ has come. That's the structure of the whole Bible. It's one of the things that's so compelling about Christianity, the way that the old has anticipated the new, the dovetailing between the, the types set up for us in the old, the, the temple, the sacrificial lamb, the priests, the kings, the exodus out of slavery, all of that is this, this anticipation of what was to come in Jesus, the fulfilment in Him. But more than that, there's explicit promises where God says He's going to do a thing And then hundreds of years later, he perfectly fulfills it. Let me give you just a couple of these. Genesis chapter 3, where he says that the offspring of Eve is going to defeat the work of Satan, but only at great cost to himself, Jesus. 2 Samuel 7, the promise of a king whose kingdom will never end. People die. How can you have a never-ending kingdom with a king who goes on forever? Amen, Jesus, the resurrected reigning King who lives forever. The promise in Isaiah 53 of a servant who would come and bear the wrath of God on our behalf, Jesus. Ezekiel 34, the promise of God coming to rescue His people and be a shepherd to them. 
but it will be God and at the same time it will be one like David. How can you have someone be, how can God be the shepherd and a human be Jesus? Micah 5, that it's in Bethlehem that the Messiah would come, that would be his birthplace. Promise answered, fulfilled, yes, amen, Jesus. God is faithful. But if the Corinthians know this about God, they should know it about Paul too. Because he's the one who's brought this message to them. Paul's been part of God's plan to bring the message of his faithfulness to the world. It was Paul's ministry among them that testified to this. Paul delivered the message, he testified to it, he never swerved from it. And so Paul had this unique tethering to God. The faithfulness of God come down to us through Paul, even come down to us through Paul tonight. Not that Paul's the saviour. Paul himself is a weak, fallible man, just like any of us. He's not the saviour. Verse 21, verse 21, he says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. It's God who does it. I'm not the saviour, says Paul. But as the apostle to the Gentiles, he occupied this unique place in history, the specially anointed messenger. Catch this at the end of verse 21 then. He says, he anointed us, God anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Now, I take it that this part here is is true of all Christians, but it's especially true of Paul, that he is the specially anointed one who's been set aside by God as the bearer of his faithfulness and faithful message. So do you see how he's defending his change of plans? It's in a weird way. He doesn't say, oh, I hurt my toe, I couldn't come. He says, God's faithful. And I'm God's messenger who's been telling you this. You can trust God to be working through his messenger. You can trust God, you can trust me. Now, you've got to remember the stakes here. This travel plans, right? Um, But for Paul, the stakes were very high that they put their trust back in him, that they continued to have relationship together. Because for Paul, chapter 1, verse 14, for, for Paul, the Corinthians' hope to stand before God on the day of the Lord Jesus was that they continued in relationship with him and not go off trusting these super apostles. And so this is, is very important for us as well, because even in our day, many have wanted to get rid of Paul. You might not have come across it yet, but uh, well, what, do you, what do you do when you're reading the Scriptures, maybe you're reading a piece of Paul, some of his writings, and you come across something that you don't like, and you think, I don't, oh, I don't get that. Not that I don't comprehend it, but it, I can't reconcile that with my way of thinking. Well, some have sought to reconcile this by taking that part out, get rid of Paul. I I really like Jesus, I like Christianity, I don't like some of the stuff Paul says, you know, in the back. We'll just ignore that part. Do you just toss out Paul? Well, if Paul really is God's specially anointed messenger, what you're really doing is tossing out something from God. You're saying, I don't trust not just Paul, 
but I don't trust you, God, either. The stakes are really high. But it's not just Paul's task that he's been faithful in. It's the way he's conducted himself as well. It's his character in which he's been faithful. And once again, what Paul does is he tethers his character to God's character. So Paul is a, a God-centered man. He viewed things through the lens of God. And so he's, he seeks to reconcile his relationship with them by convincing them that he's been trustworthy in his character as well. And so if I can put it like this, what Paul does is he says that Paul, he's behaved toward them the way God behaves towards them. Let me show you this, back in chapter 1 verse 12, where we began. Now this is our boast, our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. Now notice those words, notice the way it says it. He describes his conduct, integrity and godly sincerity. Now our English translations of Paul are excellent. But it's possible to miss something here. What Paul says is, I've related to you with the integrity and the sincerity of God. It's God's integrity that he's pointing out here. I've related to you with God's integrity, with God's sincerity. What Paul did is, he, as he went about writing these letters to the Corinthians and relating to them, and he, he would think to himself, probably not literally, kind of, it would all just happen for him, but he'd think to himself, what would God do here? And he would do that. How would God behave toward them? And he would do that. I'm going to be toward the Corinthians the way God would be toward the Corinthians right now. And so given that, Turn with me now to verse 23, chapter 1, verse 23, and here's where you see kind of Paul finally lays his cards out all on the table, all his motives become clear, he shows why, he, why he's changed his plans, he's done it intentionally, he's not been fickle, and you find out it's because he's being like God to them, it's because of love. Look at this, verse 23, I call God as my witness and I stake my life on it. It was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. Because it is by your faith that you stand firm. So I made up my mind, I decided intentionally, he says, I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but the one who I'm grieved? Why didn't Paul come? It's because he was being like God to them. He was being gentle and kind and full of love. He was God-like. He was, he, was, he was sparing them of further pain. He knew that if I come now, it's going to be this big blow-up of a thing and I want to love them, I want them to continue with me. And They just had this painful visit and he needed them to keep their faith in God, to keep their relationship with him and he wanted to show them love and gentleness. And so he makes up his mind. I'm, I know I said that, but I'm going to visit soon instead. I'm going to delay my visit and send a letter. And so in verse 4, he says, For I have wrote to you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. 
He writes with a a heart of love. He makes his plans with a heart of love, with the integrity and the sincerity of God himself, desperately wanting to do good to these people, to see them restored to faithfulness to him and to God. And and so in everything, in his conduct, in his message, in his behaviour, it's God who's been on display through Paul. Now, why does all this matter? Travel plans. All, all this drama. Why do, you know, the Bible is God, the thing God wants to say to us. You know, imagine that you could have the God of the universe speak to you. And God says, there was this guy and he said he was going to go to Corinth and then Macedonia. Why does this matter? Why is it here? Why has God thought to preserve this for us? It's not just because the bulk of people throughout history haven't had good drama on TV. It's not just because the bulk of people have not had the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial for their dramatic entertainment over the last little... Well, let me give you two big reasons why this really matters, and then I'm done. First, it matters because our relationship with God rests on the ministry of Paul. Along with the other apostles, it's, it's the ministry, it's the writing of the apostles and Paul that is our connection to the gospel of salvation. You know, Jesus, he, he spends three years doing his ministry, walking, preaching the kingdom of God. He dies, he rises again, he ascends. But the plan to get the message of salvation out to the world is through his apostles, through their ministry and through recording it for us in the Scriptures. And so it's Paul, he is our connection to the God of the universe, to the message which can reconcile us to him. And so it's desperately important that Paul be a faithful and trustworthy person, so that when we look at the Scriptures, we find out, we read of Jesus, we know that this is true. Our relationship with God depends on it. Our ability to stand before God on the day of judgment, to actually have relationship back with God. You know, Mother's Day is a wonderful opportunity for us to remember that relationships are the stuff of life. Relationships are the thing that really matter. But there's a relationship that's even more essential, more important, more critical for us than the relationship between us and our mothers, our children. It's our relationship with God. That's why we exist. The whole reason we exist is to know God and to know and love one another as well. But we've, we've left Him. We've abandoned Him. We've been unfaithful to Him. And God's got a plan to bring us back. He wants us back. He's a God of love, sincerity, kindness, gentleness. He's worked throughout history to send His Son... But our connection back to Him through His Son has to come to us through this message. And so we need to be able to trust this message. We need to be able to trust the men who delivered it, the men and women who preached, who went about, and the apostles who recorded it for us in the Scriptures. It is desperately important that we trust Paul, that we trust the Scriptures, so that we can have relationship with God again. Do you have relationship with God? Have you listened to the message of the Scriptures and have you understood it? And have you come back? Have you seen that Jesus is the Lord and the Saviour and you've trusted Him to be who He says He is? Some of, some of you will just be thinking about these things for the very first time. That is 
awesome. Keep coming back. One of the best things I ever did when I was investigating these things for myself was I got a Bible that I wasn't afraid to write in. And I got that thing and I read it and I underlined stuff and I wrote big question marks and I would take it along to a friend who I could trust and I would say, what's up with this? But just looking at the things of Jesus myself, coming to see this thing fits together. This is not fairy tale. This is history. This is reality. This is trustworthy and good. And my God is trustworthy and good. And I want to trust Him. So keep coming along. Keep thinking. Grab a Bible, write in it. It matters desperately that we can trust Paul. But secondly, it matters because this part of the Bible shows us so much of who God is. This part of the Bible highlights for us His character. The God who is faithful to His promises. Who says yes to every promise He's made in Christ. Our God is a God you can trust. Our God is someone to be in relationship with. Some of us find it very difficult to trust people through broken promises, through being let down in marriage or with friends, with family. And nothing hurts like broken relationships. God is not like us. God is not a human being that He should lie. God is faithful and trustworthy and good. And you can trust Him. He's the God who makes promises and fulfills them, says yes. And in Christ Jesus, every promise of God is yes. He deals with His people with gentleness and compassion and love. He forgives. You see it in Paul's instructions to the the man who had grieved him seriously. He says, forgive him. If there's anything to forgive, I've forgiven it to He's gentle. Our God is gentle and trustworthy. If we would just come to Him and have relationship with Him again and come to know Him. And our God is able to keep us on the day of Christ Jesus, to make us stand firm. So once you come to Him, once you put your trust in Him, He's trustworthy and good. You won't regret it. Let's pray. Our faithful God... You are wonderful, you are true, you are a promise-keeping God, you are a God who has worked throughout history and demonstrated yourself to be wonderfully good and true and faithful and just and gentle and compassionate. And in Christ Jesus, through this message that you've preserved it for us, you've given us your word, the scriptures... Your messengers have been faithful and trustworthy and good. We can trust you in your word. We can trust you to keep us for the day of of the Lord Jesus. And we ask that our lives would be ones, like Paul, full of integrity, the integrity and the sincerity of God, that we would be like this toward one another even, toward our mothers, toward our, our family. Fill us with the love that you have so loved us with, that we might be full of faith, integrity, sincerity to each other and trust you all our days. In Jesus' name, amen.